This week, on a very special episode of Waxing the Porpoise, G-Baby and the usual suspect Steve have the distinct pleasure to welcome Bob from the Straight Chilling Podcast, acting as our compass rose to help us navigate our way through John Carpenter's spooky seafaring banger from 1980, The Fog. Join us as we batten down the hatches and get scurvy on some Jepson's Malort, flashback fondly to a little electric light orchestra, and pull the hook for a good old-fashioned Palm Beach release. Just what is this Fog's motivations? Let the boy watch. Let's wax this nautical porpoise. Chase, don't do that. You see, we, we working on his brow chakra. We're just in back of the crown chakra. All right, uh, welcome back to Waxing the Porpoise. We are ringing in the new year with episode 40 now, recorded tonight on January 5th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Just as a quick refresher and to any new listeners tuning in for the first time, here we like to review the hidden, not so hidden cinematic gems previously unseen by our resident film neophyte and co-host Steve. We also like to discuss any number of strange, mysterious, or otherwise unexplained events and instances of true crime, or sometimes we'll just go into some kind of wild card topic of our choosing. For instance, we're kind of hot off the heels. We just finished up a a pretty in-depth three-parter with our friend Dick Dog talking about his life story and all its labyrinthine plots and side plots, and we've also done a series on Steve and his day-to-day as an advantage player that I'm sure we'll we'll come back to us at some point as well. But uh, with all that said, it's been a while. So I just, any, anybody new to the, to the show, that's kind of what we're all about. Uh, we're here for the deep cuts, only the choice nugs as it were. And as luck would have it tonight, the nugs are as choice as ever, as we are gathered to discuss another one of my favorite John Carpenter flicks. Uh, Steve has not had the pleasure of seeing yet tonight. Uh, we're talking 1980s, the fog starring, Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, Janet Lee, Tom Atkins, and of course, George Buck Flower uh, for the discerning eye. Uh, without further ado tonight, to guide you through this fog advisory, you've got myself, Jim, <laughs> the sage shaman of useless information himself, G. Baby. The funk of 40,000 years. And as always, we have the usual suspect, Steve. Hey, the fog <laughs> Oh man, good. You know, I've been sitting on that one for a while. She was no Sharon Stone. Yeah, (laughs) I think I'm dying Uh, here, man. And then I'm very excited Uh, tonight. (laughs) We have a very special guest that I'm just tickled to have on. I can feel it deep down in my plums. Please welcome to the program the drummer, the backbone, timekeeper, host, and one third of the Straight Chilling Podcast, Bob. Hey guys! Just a sick world we're living in. Sick people. What a Welcome. perfect bump! I love it. Welcome. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Uh, very happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for letting me tickle you. Oh yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, we're we're hyped to have you on. Well, I am for sure. I know Steve's probably like, bro, pump the brakes. You know, at this point, <laughs> um, no, my but... uh, my my plums are tingling too. So awesome. Let me get them plums. A bright bluish hue. Uh, <laughs> that's from 
Do you remember Eastbound and Down when oh, yeah. uh, Will Ferrell guested on the first? Yeah. Let the boy watch. <laughs> I get to say that now because I have a son. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we're we're honored as hell to have you on uh, Waxing the Porpoise and totally appreciate uh, you taking the time to join us. So, hell skeet, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let me wax them plums. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess real quick too, uh, I'd be remiss. I've, I know I've mentioned it a time or two here, uh, but I'm a long time listener and fan of the straight chilling podcast. Their greater community unofficially dubbed children, uh, which has brought together a lot of like-minded folks, including myself and Steve, you who know by proxy now, I guess we've been on uh ghoulish unis show a couple times uh logan and the two nates we've had a lot of fun with them uh and hydroberg has been on from a cut above who they kind of spun off with john and jacqueline who we all know each other through the straight chilling podcast and miles too we had on recently for uh possession not too long ago so this is how i met all these these people and so to have you come on and join us for the fog, Bob, this is kind of coming full circle for me. So I appreciate it again. And uh, I'm, I'm psyched to talk about this film in particular, because I know you're a fan and this is, this is one of my, I'd say top five, maybe top three, depending on the day, uh, Carpenter flicks for sure. So with that said, do uh, knowing you really dig this one, where did your love, love affair begin with the fog, Bob? I was a latecomer to The Fog. I didn't see it until Scream Factory put it out on Blu-ray, I think in like 2015 or 16, something like that. So yeah, that was the first time I saw it. I, I really, really enjoyed it though. It definitely has similar vibes to Halloween, which I'm sure we'll talk about all that, uh, which is one of my favorite movies and has been for quite a while. So it, it was sort of like an instant hit for me. But uh, yeah, other than other than that, though, I'd never seen it. I know there was like a, a DVD copy of it that was around for a while. I don't think it was very good. But yeah, I'm a newcomer to it, really. Nice. Yeah, that's kind of similar to me, too. Like I, once I picked up like, uh, you know, Escape from New York, Assault on Precinct 13, that was kind of my intro to Carpenter. And then very like then it was like uh, the first two Halloweens and then this one mm. kind of went probably when I was mid 20s ish. But yeah, this one's really grown on me. And like this one and Christine, I feel there's there's kind of a similar similar vibe going on with them. And I love watching these around Halloween and Thanksgiving. And I was reading too, there was a someone tried to make a case for this possibly being like a Thanksgiving, having a Thanksgiving vibe, which we'll get into later, I guess. But anyway, with that said too, because because Steve, you've never seen this before. What what did you think of this one? And had you heard about this one at all in the past? No, I think I had always sort of combined this one and The Mist into one movie that I, I hadn't seen either one of. So I got that so many times when people are asked, what are you, what are you watching? My wife was like, what are you watching? Oh, is that the one where it comes in and the dude has to, spoiler alert, kill his whole family at the end? And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, wow. that's the Thanks. fucking mist. Well, no I'll need to check, review that one. <laughs> guess I'll check that off my list. Um, oh, I thought you'd seen the mist with Tom Jane. No, I, I read, I read, I read, the, I read the short story. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I I liked it a lot. It it also reminded me of Halloween, which I don't know. I can't even think of any other John Carpenter movies I've seen besides uh, Halloween, and he did Poltergeist too. No, or no, that was Toby Hooper. Oh, uh, yeah, I like the music. It reminded me of Halloween too. That kind of synthy, you know. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, sweet. 
It was tight. Mark from beginning to end, you know, just like what you would want a horror movie to be. Yeah, this one one runs right at like 90 or like an hour and 29 minutes. So I was like, this bodes well for sure for Steve in particular. Nice and tight. Better than The Burbs, eh? Dude, that movie sucks. (laughs) Oh, oh, I wore this for you, Steve. Jim, I don't even know if I brought it up, but he was wearing a burb shirt last week when we were recording. I, well, I, was just, he, I was just fuming looking at it. Like, yeah, I take this as a personal attack. This is an affront yeah, to me. You should. I thought about wearing I should have worn it again. Just make it like a pastime to just wear that, that <laughs> every week on every podcast. Just to I love that shirt. Get me up to Somewhere. 11 and rip the knob off. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, well, so I can mark. Mark that one in the uh, the win column here Mark for it Steve. A zero over, over the, line. the line. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I guess before we get into the uh, the actual film, you guys want to uh, crack open a shot of uh, Malort? I'm curious to see how this hits you, Stevie. It, it's funny. I smelled it like ten minutes ago, and I was like, "This doesn't smell too bad." I have not lost the smell <laughs> in my sinuses since then. It's so it's, weird. It's the same with the flavor. It just lingers and lingers and lingers. And if you insist, Jim, yes, we're doing it. So for those who are unfamiliar, I mean, it even says on here, it has the aroma and full-bodied flavor of an unusual botanical. <laughs> its bitter taste is savored by two-fisted drink. I feel like they're really trying to prepare you subtly, like, hey, this tastes like shit, but it's kind of our thing. <laughs> Very much so. Unusual botanical. Oh, oh. Cheers, fellas. Why? Why? I think why that's would... a lot of people's first reaction is why. What this this flavor's intentional? Fucking hell. <laughs> God damn. I I challenge you to make something that tastes worse. Oh god. I think you'd be Well, hard- isn't that a feat in the, in and of itself? Not really. I mean, no. I feel like I could crack open some rubbing alcohol and it wouldn't be as bad as this. It tastes like Lysol, right? Like like you sprayed Lysol into your mouth. Yeah, it does. Or like a really shitty cologne. Yeah, that too. I remember I got a, it was, I think for a a, a straight chilling watch party, uh, a Joe Bob watch party, I, I picked up a bottle when I was out here like a year and a half ago when we were looking for houses in Indiana and I strolled into a Belmont and I saw one. I was like, holy shit, it's a bottle of Malort. I'm going to let my cat smell it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she is not a fan. Just claws your face off. She's smart. Smart animal. I was like, fuck, what do I pair this with? So I got a a few different chasers. I found pineapple, like the dole, like in the like little can like the pure 100% juice, pineapple, yeah. that that cuts it pretty good. It's a pretty good backer. It's, it's moving from the front of my mouth to the back. <laughs> from the window to the walls. To the Malort drop off your balls. Yeah. Oh, boy. I got Dude. Malort balls. The evil is spreading. <laughs> it, it, that's weird because it, it doesn't really smell that bad, but it tastes fucking horrible. Yeah, it's terrible. There's a there's a pretty funny YouTube video that's of this dude who is he's trying to like shoot a promo for Malort and he keeps he t- he'll take a shot and say Malort I'll have another but he's like trying to mask the fact that it tastes fucking terrible and he downs like a whole bottle by the end of it and ends up puking on himself. It's really funny. I recommend checking it out. <laughs> oh man. And it's only 35%. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's where it's like, man. What what else is the pain in, doesn't really what's not in worth you? It. What are you? What is in this? <laughs> it's like you're talking to yourself in a mirror. <laughs> you, you Chicago. Monster. It's the taste yeah. of Chicago. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> like a full on si- malort side plot here. Cool. Well I'm I'm glad alien, you alien piss tastes like. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. I'm drinking alien piss tonight. <laughs> or if you put a trough under a bar that all the degenerate long-time <laughs> drinkers would piss in and then just tip it over into a, a shot glass. Oh, fuck. The Zamboni shot. Have you guys ever seen After Midnight? Which one? The anthology or the one with uh, uh, the dude who did Battery? The The Battery guy. Oh yeah, what's his face from last podcast on the left does a, yeah. a mat a bar mat shot. Yeah. What do they call those? He I don't know what the the typical nomenclature is, but in the movie he calls it a gorilla fart, and I thought that was <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> I jokingly told Jim because Jim actually was kind enough to buy me a bottle of this dog shit and send kind? it. To me. <laughs> <Yeah>. Kind <laughs> And I uh, I texted him like that was a gift, Todd. All I know about, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want my painting back. All I told Jim about this stuff, I was like, all I know is that I've heard it just tastes like Bigfoot's dick, which I think is pretty accurate. You got to play tummy sticks after you drink Malort. <laughs> oh, man. I want to I want to switch that out into a different liquor bottle and try to trick my old lady into drinking it. <laughs> this Dude. is great whiskey. It's the best I've ever had. You got to try it. <laughs> yeah. Smooth. Goes down like a depth charge. Cool. Well, that was fun. I wish I could have joined <laughs> you, you fellas, all in the pain. But, sure. Um, next time. I imagine it's similar to the time, Jim, you ate... A, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's like a fertilized chicken egg. Oh, uh, what is it called? Balut? Balut, yeah. Yeah. Dude. But it's like fermented and half formed and yeah, y- it put you down for like a week, if I remember right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was like two or three days. But... Well, I remember like it, it physically made you feel ill when you ate mm-hmm. it, but mm-hmm. then there was like a day or two after that where yeah, I had you, to stay you home couldn't even work. come to work. Like, wow. dude, yeah. dude that just... fucking egg fucked me <laughs> Dude, yeah. I it was... was so gross looking. Yeah, it was like, it was definitely putting your thumb over uh, the hose, like, out of my ass. It was, <laughs> I was pissing with force, man. It was terrible. It fucking, and I remember, because we have a, a buddy who was, I don't know, what, what was he? Was he Filipino or? Yes. And yeah, so he and his family uh, had a, had a lot of like traditional stuff, and he brought in some. He's like, "Yeah," and I had, I remember it. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm fucking cool. I can eat that." Because I just saw it on like Travel Channel, you know, like street food. You know, balut. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know balut. I can eat that, and I fucking wolfed it down. And I remember being like halfway through it, like I could taste like little cartilage, like uh. formed bones in the egg and the yolk, and I was like, "This was a bad." bad choice and yeah it knocked that shit knocked me down man. and it's funny my wife was like i told you not to eat why the fuck would you eat that i told you not to do that look at you now even yeah, just wallowed in on the floor couldn't hang with that that's too much for me even just looking at it was foul as shit yeah yeah yep <laughs> that's dudage 101 trying to be a tough guy and it just fucking 
I'm, 180s on you. I'm sorry about your ass, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pray for your cock. Um, <laughs> Dude, Pinesaw right, so, was spot on. I'm definitely picking up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. Uh, clean your floors and disinfect your insides. Uh, I bet drinking straight antifreeze is not as bad as this. <laughs> <laughs> at least you die at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very See, true. The we'll sweet find release out of death. 12 hours how your south mouth feels about it. But <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah, let's get into the fog. Foggage. So this... I, I I like how this kind of starts out with that Edgar Allan Poe excerpt. Yeah, is is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream. <laughs> I immediately Googled where it came from, and it fin it finishes. It says, "I stand amid the roar of a surf tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep while I weep, while I weep. Oh God, I thought that was a cool oh, uh, intro to this. That's spot on." I didn't know you were a gothic teenage girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. Cool. <laughs> and then we go into like the fuck. I, I love the intro, the old man in the sea, like creeping out the fucking, the little kids, the 1155, almost midnight, all that. Mm -hmm. I was like, dude, I can't wait till my kids get a little bit older. I'm going to fucking intro just like that. Like just stone cold, like. Time for one more story to keep us warm. Send him away to a pedo day camp with the Gorton fishermen. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Now that was cool though. Like just an old man telling creepy shit to these little kids. Yeah. Like just going in on them. Yeah. The creepy campfire tale paired with the Edgar Allan Poe quote really like sets the tone of the rest of the movie. It's got this like, like slow, methodical, creeping pace that sort of feels like a typical ghost story, but it's not just like a boring ass, like, oh, I'm in a haunted house situation. But yeah, I, I love the campfire sets it up. That was like an afterthought, I think, to to like pad out the movie a bit because the runtime oh, really? was so short, but it it adds a lot. I think it's a great way to, to start the movie, honestly. Yeah, totally. I no I mentioned or I noticed this time when I was watching it, it takes a long time actually to build up. I don't, I think it, it was like the twelve minute mark before we're through the credits. Yeah. Like how they kinda they yeah. stretch them out. But I like how it kind of set the the set and setting of the coastal California town and like and the spookiness and like you know, you're immediately thrust into the seafaring ghosty story. I, I really like how they set this one up. With the fog rolling in and the backstory, the Elizabeth Dane is is the ship that has wrecked. And later on, I like how they don't dump it all at you at once, too. They kind of mm -hmm. they give you crumbs throughout, culminating really kind of towards the end with with uh, Father Malone uh, filling in the rest of the story. I like how they did that, like just story wise. But so this takes place in Antonio Bay, which is fictitious. But uh, I thought. Also, a reason you would like this a lot, Steve, too, because I know you and your old lady like to go to the coast of California quite a bit, which is only like a two or three, four hour jog from where you guys are at. But I think this is this is just south by maybe a couple hours. So like the main, I think it's Point Ray Station and Inverness. They're right next to each other. Have you ever been there? Yeah, it, it's funny you brought this up because I was I was going to shoehorn this story in no matter what, because it was so funny. 
Uh, yep, big big fan of the North Coast of California. Not a big like hot beach person. So like Northern California <laughs> beaches are usually cold and kind of you know yeah. overcast, which is more my jam. And so totally. when when the scene happens where she gets to the the top of the really long staircase that goes down to the lighthouse, dude, that shit looked so dope. Well, I turned I turned to the to the missus and I was like, we've we've been to that lighthouse together, haven't we? And She's like, yeah, I think so. And so she's checking on her phone. She's like, oh, no, we've never been there. Uh, Hollywood? Oh, wait, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, Point Reyes. We've been there together. I'm like, what What the fuck are you, did you think that was Hollywood? And she's like, well, it says that it was filmed on the whatever soundstage in Hollywood. And then also Point Reyes Lighthouse. And I just looked at her like, you are so fucking stupid. <laughs> She's very smart, which is what made it even funnier. <laughs> You're stuck it, now, Steve. Because it was such a dumb thing to say. Like, yeah. Well, but when we were there, they had the staircase closed, if I remember right, because it was so windy. It would just like pick you up and fucking throw you out to sea. Damn. Damn imagine. But it was really cool, just that whole area. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the uninitiated, you look at like where. Shit, where shit is filmed you know you there's some layers to like where and to like vet out like because you know some they shoot like pickups and like certain things at a sound stage but then like you kind of got to sift through to see and imdb is pretty good because it'll tell you like which scene sometimes like bill and kathy stopped into the liquor store here you know and it'll have that location but uh like i think Another thing I like about this setting and Carpenter is he likes to do, shoot a lot of stuff on location, which, uh, I mean, he does as much as he can, but like with Halloween three, this reminded me a lot of Halloween three. Cause he filmed mm-hmm. in Lolita, California, which is up by Humboldt Eureka. So quite a, quite a bit farther North, but he shoots there like almost exclusively, um, for, for Halloween three. And he did that, that for, uh, the fog as well at point race station in Inverness. I think the only other main spot is the church, that dope church that's in like Altadena, I think, which is on the outskirts of it's like in the, the inland empire down in, in LA. But I, yeah, I really liked, especially I even made a note of it. I think it's like halfway or maybe three quarters of the way through the film when, Adrian Barbeau when uh, Stevie when she goes back to the the station and it shows that big like long shot I was like hey that fucking looks awesome just like the scenery but also like goddamn for 1980 like just the way they shot everything it looked like exceptional to me like I was it kind of blew me away that it was from 1980 and they were able to catch like the waves and just everything about that was fucking awesome. Dean Cundy was the cinematographer on this movie who he's worked a lot with John Carpenter, but also just like is probably one of the most famous DPs in like cinema history. He's done a lot of work with Spielberg, too. So like he shot Halloween. He shot this movie, shot the thing, Jurassic Park. Hold on to your butts. Like he's got a pretty incredible like catalog of of movies that that he's done. And like everything that he does looks amazing. So like. You know, the fog is definitely among his his filmography for sure. Um, Damn the the lighting and shit too. Like, I mean, some of it looks a little bit hokey with like the fog rolling in. You know, being from nineteen eighty or whatever. But for the most part, I think like ev like every every shot with like the silhouetted pirates and and the slow moving fog and the stuff in the church with like the glowing cross. 
Mm-hmm. And even even like the more mundane shit where like they're just shooting the convenience store at the beginning of the movie, like there's nothing really cool happening per se, other than stuff is kind of rattling around. But it looks fucking beautiful, right? Like the way yeah. it's shot just looks so clean. And uh thanks, thank you, Dean Cundy, you know. That's what I didn't I didn't look in on the background, like who created the film other than, you know, John Carpenter and and his uh partner, uh what's her name? Deborah Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill. And I'm wondering, is it because now it's really common that you see, you know, director of photography on like the credits. I don't remember mm-hmm. seeing Dean Cundy on the credits or did I just fucking gloss that over? Yeah. Yeah. He's, just, he's on there. Oh, okay. I'm an idiot then. I feel like that would have jumped out at me, but it makes sense too. Cause John Carpenter also, he does like to use not every movie, but it seems like he, he has kind of like a core group of professionals oh, and yeah. actors that he yeah. works with really frequently which makes sense too. He's comfortable with them and they do a great job. But yeah, that the cinematography of this movie is fucking awesome. And it struck me even yeah at the end, the gold cross, I remember watching that. I was like, dude, how, I've seen so much shittier movies like post 1980 that could, that couldn't pull something like that off. I was like, how totally. the fuck did they like, I, I know nothing about filmmaking and like how you create effects, but I was really like, how the fuck did they make that cross glow like that? Not look like dog shit in 1980. That was super yeah. cool. So in addition to, to Dean Cundy shooting this, Deborah Hill produced it. Of course, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace is like another old time, John Carpenter collaborator. They were in a band together for a while called the Coupe de Vils, which oh yeah, there's like a needle drop in this movie where they're like, hey, this song is from the Coupe de Vils. I don't think it really was, but there it's like a callback to their band. <laughs> but he was a production designer on this movie, and oh, there's a wow. lot of like returning actors from like Halloween, mm-hmm. uh, Charles Cyphers, Jamie yep. Lee Curtis, Nancy Loomis, of course Annie, Tom Atkins, yeah. yeah, Annie, yeah, Tom Atkins from Halloween Three. And um, Rob Bottin, who did all the practical effects in The Thing, plays Blake, which is like the main ghost pirate guy. Oh, yeah. The red eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, yeah, John Carpenter totally has that like filmmaking kind of family that he pulls from regularly. Yeah, I, I like that too, and I noticed a lot of a lot of the people, and I noticed too the cast list. They uh, the the cast of the characters, like one dude's name is Dan O'Bannon, who I know he worked with yeah. when he was younger at USC, and like Nick Castle was Tom Atkins' character. Yeah. I th- I thought that was cool. He kind of peppered in the the different names, and he's done that in other stuff too, which yeah. is kind of one of his hallmarks. It's I like that he does that, but it also eventually becomes confusing because you're like, wait, is this the character's name or is this the actual person (laughs) playing a character in the movie? Like fucking Nick Castle played, you know, the shape in the original Halloween. There's a character named Nick Castle in this in this movie here. Um, Adrian Barbeau, I believe I believe when this movie came out, Barbeau was married to Carpenter or they got married right after something like that. They were husband and wife for a while. Yeah. Um. And then Janet Lee being Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. So it's very much like a, a tight knit kind of family run picture here, which is interesting. Here's a kind of a wild uh, side tangent too about concerning Adrian Barbo and, and her marrying uh, Carpenter. I just heard this recently. Uh, it was, I think it was Rich Evans on red letter media kind of went off on this like fucking thing about Charles Cyphers used to work a lot with Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And 
there was like some weird love triangle and like he he threw down a, a funky theory by just kind of like looking at the dates and when Adrian Barbo and Carpenter broke up and then it's like oh he didn't work with Charles Cyphers anymore and there were some rumors that sh- that Cyphers was like fucking around with Barbo off to the side so hmm. i can't remember if this was like the last film that they all worked together on or that he worked with Charles Cyphers on or maybe it was a few few years later but uh, I thought that was interesting. Well, S- Charles Cipher's character in this is definitely like horn dog and all over Barbo oh, yeah. for sure. So that's the weatherman guy. Oh, okay. Steve. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. gonna <laughs> Dan O'Bannon. <laughs> Which yeah. to clarify. Weather dies tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that poor old man. Yeah. But like they were uh, definitely setting him up to be a guy who dies that you don't really care that he dies. So yeah, yeah, totally. for sure. And he red does. shirt. Yeah, yeah. I will say, after watching this again after probably not for a couple years, I was like, damn, I forgot how it is pretty light on actual kills in this flick. But I feel like it's not a detriment. Like I, I, I think. I feel like everything's spaced well enough and paced well enough that I'm not really looking for that. It's more of like the, it's a creepy factor that this film uh, captures really well that I like a lot. I'm a sucker for like ghost stuff too. So this is right up my alley with like a carpenter vibe that's heavy on ghost stuff. It's kind of, there's some like weird, like final destination elements too. Like when the uh, one effect that they did that I really liked is when, um, Adrian Barbo's son, that little Andy Milanakis looking kid, he's <laughs> seven or 30 or fucking, yeah. uh, he's such a cute, weird looking kid. When he brings in that, that, uh, piece of driftwood or from the boat, when it turns from like a coin to a thing and it, the, yeah. the, the Dane from Elizabeth Dane. And when she has it in a radio booth and it starts fucking like bleeding that water and like leaking the water up and through and, and melting down the fucking sound shit. And then that creepy voice of Blake comes through and says that cryptic shit. I like that a lot. I was like, fuck, how'd they do that? Probably reverse shot it. Like the way they do with uh, Christine busting the fucking car up and then having it come back. Uh, do you guys do you guys have any idea what a stomach pounder is i don't i i figured i was like oh like a burger or something just like local slang for just like a meat like a triple decker berg yeah that's i don't know i don't know guess i have no idea but then i was like the way he said it was like maybe it's something else like i don't know yeah, I re- that struck me this time too. Like a stomach pounder and a coke. <laughs> yeah, God damn, maybe kid. later. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's candy because she says after lunch. So if it is like yeah, a big- that's what made me think. Like yeah, like why would she agree to fucking give this kid it's- a greasy ass slider after lunch? And you know a coke? what? You know what it, it what it's gonna be from here on out is a shot of fucking malort. That's a <laughs> that's a stomach pounder. That's and more like a stomach with pumper. a coke backer. God yeah. Damn. <laughs> I'll have a quadruple Hennessy with a gin back. (laughs) God damn. I need to find that bump. It's from a Cat Williams from a long time ago where he's like super nervous and he's like sweating and shit. He's describing a story where he's like in the lobby somewhere and he's super nervous for like a job interview. And like, can I get you anything, sir? A tea, a water? He's like, I will have a quadruple Hennessy with a gin back. Thank you. (laughs) Get fucked up in the next five seconds, please. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Oh, Can I get an instant me. blackout? 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Seriously. Oh, shot him, Lord. Coming right up, sir. Oh, God. That should be like um, a code in bars for like <laughs> I need I need help right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Call the cops. <laughs> Speaking of ambiguous ages, so Adrian Adrian Barbeau. Um, yes. As as you both are aware, I don't know anything about movies, but that name sounded so familiar. I thought she was like one of these old starlets. And I think I, I tried looking it up afterwards who I was thinking of, but I think I'm, I was thinking of, um, fuck, what's her name? Like Bridget Bardot or some other, mm. some mm-hmm. other French gal who's much more attractive. And so <laughs> this whole movie, I kept thinking she's either young and looks old or she's old and looks young. It's a 50, 50. Yeah. So I, and then when I, that was the first thing I looked up when it was over 35, <laughs> when this was made, you could have told me she was 50 and I would have believed it. Damn. I don't think she her, looks but... that old, honestly. Like uh, I'm not I trying to knock her, but I can see like the, she's got some, she's got corner of the mouth, like wrinkles. So if, like, you yeah. had, if you had told me beforehand, it, w- I guess what I mean is if you told me at the beginning, like, Oh, this lady's 50. I'd be like, she looks good for 50. But if you yeah. said she's 30, I'd be like, she looks old for 30. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And not to knock her, like we're not trying to like fucking body shame or anything like that. It's, I think it's just a sign of the times because this shit, I swear to God, maybe it's like the fucking Mantella effect or some shit. But uh, me and my wife are always talking about it. It's like, God damn, dude. Like we're looking at a thing. It was like Archie Bunker when he did All in the Family, uh, Carol O'Connor. It's yeah. like. I can't remember what the age was, but it's like, he looks like he's like 65 and he was like 42. Uh-huh. It's like, it seems like it feels like, you know, people look way the fuck older, you know, when they were in high school in 1980 versus now, you know, but maybe that's just like a recency bias or like just our in the present perspective of things. But it sometimes it does, dude, you see like people that are like seniors in 1979 and they have like, they look like they have a mortgage and three kids and a full <laughs> fucking mustache. It's like, what's yeah. going on here? One she has all- like angular features. And I think it also might have something to do with like the, the way her hair and her clothes are styled. Maybe it's like, seems like she's a little bit older and maybe they were trying to like age her up a bit. Cause she's got a kid and like a, yes, an important I- job, I guess. I don't know. I, I could definitely see that, like a style thing that imparts like an older look. Yeah, um, fair. But I also have the opposite thing now, where when I see young people, they look so much younger than they actually are. Yeah, like, exactly. living in a living in a college town, you mm-hmm. drive through town, it's like, <laughs> are you are you eleven? You're yeah. tw- you're twenty two, and you're going for your masters or whatever, but you look like you're eleven years old. Yeah. So I think some of it's like a perception thing as you get older, but in in her case, I think. Part of it is like a stylistic. Well, maybe it is style is a big component too, because when shit goes out of style, it can impart like an age, maybe an unconscious or subconscious kind of age effect in your mind too. Like you think about like Jinko jeans, like fucking (laughs) people could live inside your, the bottom of your (laughs) Jinkos. I'm wearing some right now. Never take them (laughs) off. Wear them to sleep. I don't need a comforter. I uh, just live in of, one leg and then use the other <laughs> leg as a co- cover. Uh, speak, speaking of like ages and shit, I think we need to talk a little bit about Tom Atkins in this movie. I really don't know how old he is in this movie. I couldn't tell you, but like, he, like his character seems 
a good bit older than Jamie Lee Curtis for sure. I would oh, say, yeah. and they like they have this this like romance that happens so instantly that's based on basically nothing zero and they they fuck and then afterwards they're like oh yeah by the way what's your name and then they exchange (laughs) like what a weird situation i don't know like i don't know what are they like 20 years uh difference in age 10 years difference in age i don't know yeah probably 20 yeah daddy issues (laughs) maybe I actually, I thought it was kind of cute, like them just getting together. And I, I just thought they set it up too with like, are you weird? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm weird. And <laughs> yes. like that, that whole, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God. Let's fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the car over. Uh, Do you want a sip of my beer I'm drinking while driving? Yeah. Sip. <laughs> I was like, dude, yeah. People are just, I think that's a sign of the times too. People are just yeah. more freewheeling, like. How about this? Peace, love, dope. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a sign of the times too. But yeah, they definitely are a little bit. You can you can tell the age quite a bit easier. And like Tom Atkins, fuck man, I love the guy, but he needs to always have a stash. He, his face looks like a like a pockmarked like well oiled catcher's mitt. Like it's just this weird flesh, yeah. almost it, like one of those aliens from uh, Fire in the Sky. I've never seen that. That sounds that. terrifying, though. Oh, dude, Fire in the Sky is awesome. DB Sweeney, ninety two. It's got one of the most horrific, freaky as shit alien abduction. It, like it actually shows like him getting fucked with by aliens. Like anal probe jokes aside, like they like. I don't want to spoil it. It's fucking horrific. It scared the shit out of me when I was like 10. And I was like, I'll never watch that again. And I watched it again when I was like 25. <laughs> and it was just as fucking freaky. Damn. It's a good flick. It's not a good flick. That part, though, is awesome. So check it okay. out for that. <laughs> it's a great 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, Atkins. He looks, I made a note too. He looks like a beetle. That haircut. Jesus Christ. Poor, poor guy's got like the Will Byers, like fucking mushroom top but i i don't know i kind of like them just getting together she seemed like kind of mm-hmm. like a vagabond and him too he's just like a, a stray he dog you know that's like in town for a little while he's fishes two days a week and drinks the rest and he just seems like an okay dude yeah um, he seemed cool yeah, yeah just like just a dude dudeing it up he's like he, I don't, I don't know if he. Was, I guess I'm assuming he was a sex symbol in the 80s, but I know like even today in like his 60s or seven, however old he's old as shit. He's People are, old. he's still like a, a bit of a sex symbol though, and I think that is <laughs> to Steve's point. Maybe there's like some daddy stuff going on there, but I, I, I don't know, man. Like I don't really get it. I guess. Um, yeah, I wouldn't go out of my way to say he's a handsome fella, but I think it's like the attitude and just kind of like the sure, yeah, the, the gravitas dick swagger that he's got going on maybe oh he's got a huge dick for sure <laughs> i'm sure he's he's got a basket for sure i don't um, i don't recognize him from anything else is, is this like his biggest thing or no he's kind of what do you, what do you think these... is his most notable well role? let me say this real quick too i kind of got it's weird I, I got into the Tom Atkins game knowing who he was kind of later in life. And now since I have, I've understood he seems like he's just below the surface of like being one of these guys that that broke and is super easily recognizable. But if you just go one layer further down, it's he's pretty ubiquitous and pretty known as like a, I don't know, B-movie horror 
adjacent and horror like badass type dude like a mel gibson just not quite up there but then he kind of he kind of just coasted in that lane pretty much his whole career it seemed like he was in lethal weapon one i don't know if you remember him michael hunsacker where he's like you gotta kill them roger kill them he was in he was in that but he's probably most well known for halloween three and night of the creeps what do you think yeah yeah those are the big two and then this would be probably number three i guess as far (laughs) as i'm aware I know he was in Maniac Cop too. I can't remember him having a huge role in that one, but yeah, he's he's kind of. I, I think of him the same as like Tony Todd, the dude who played Candyman. You ever seen Candyman, Steve? Nope. Fuck. He was in the Final <laughs> Destinations too. I can't. His name's like Bloodworth or something, but yeah, he's just like just below the surface. Cool, cool guy plays like the cool dude in Halloween Three. He's kind of like the same character. Yeah. Um, like he's he's banging someone probably 18 years his his junior and he's always drinking like he's always got like a six pack or he's at a bar shooting something it's miller time yeah <laughs> dude i think you would like night of the creeps a lot steve that's a good one that, yeah. i think next halloween that would be a good halloween uh pick for okay. sure and he's he's got some really good one-liners like it's miller time he starts fucking <laughs> blasting zombies and shit like <laughs> nice he's he's awesome what's his other one uh thrill me thrill me yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, that'd be a, yeah thinking about it now that would be a really fun one but yeah. he's he's dope too i like him a lot in, in halloween three and that's got some coastal california stuff in it too so I, I think i think you might dig that as well if if you like the fog yeah i for some reason when i was watching this i i i was like i always think that atkins gets taken out early but he survives the whole damn thing which i'm I'm cool with he's a cool dude and it shows he goes out of his way too because like when the seagrass first like is reported missing and we know what happens everyone got murked on it but he's like shit i gotta find out what's going on like because he it seems like he he fishes with them occasionally or he's he's buds with those guys and he tries to get to the bottom of it and see what's going yeah. on and then he's like kind of our, our him and uh jamie lee and toe they're like you know super simpatico all of a sudden and she's like chasing him around and there are our eyes and ears for like the story and and figuring out oh these these ghosties are fucking they got a little bit of final destination little poltergeist shit and then they can manifest and fucking kill you like corporally with weapons i liked all that kind of stuff wrapped up i think there's an aspect to this that's very like the the ghost pirate aspect of this is extremely scooby-doo and i watched a lot of scooby-doo growing up so there it like sort of is implanted in my brain to like anything with like a ghost pirate basically but like (laughs) that plus the like halloween kind of kind of pace and vibe that it has is is makes it kind of like an instant home run i i think uh the first sort of like kill sequence which like we don't really hardly see anything but it's still like super like atmospheric and i think effective whenever the fog rolls in on the boat and they're they're out to sea and there's like three of them on there they all get murdered in various different ways but the uh one of the guys is like looking at whatever piece of equipment he's like there's a huge ship right next to us which we don't see probably because like the budget i'm sure was nothing but uh, it like alludes that there's this huge like ghost pirate ship that they're rolling in on that's hidden by the fog and you just can't see it which is a super cool idea 
Yeah. And then when Jamie Lee and, and, and party go on and like find it and like everything is like doused in seawater and rusted. Like it's been under, like the ship itself has been submerged for days, years. I don't know. And just like the, the, the inner workings of that just like add a lot of intrigue to, to the movie for me. It's, it's, it's super cool. I don't, I just like, how is that possible? It's not, but like, it doesn't really matter. It's just interesting. I think. Yeah, I think a lesser movie you could you could pick apart. But did you like this part, Steve, when they go into the autopsy and they're kind oh, of yeah. like talking about like the arteries and like it's like, you know, these kids we just lost, they they were out for 10 days. And it's like this guy who you just picked out and he was in the cat, he was below deck of the ship. It's like he it looks like he's been there longer. I liked all that kind of stuff. And like mm-hmm. what you're going towards, Bob, like it's like that somehow this supernatural force was able to like, you know, wormhole him into like a, this fucked up dimension and like, or just, you know, inflict that, uh, those conditions upon. So it's like when they see him, it's like, yeah, what happened to this guy is like, he's been underwater for 30 days. And it's like, no, it just like the, the force kind of sweeps over him yeah, like and causes the- this shit to happen. I thought that was really cool too. That's kind of what I thought. Like when the fog comes in, it's like speeding up the the decomposition and, you know, coating everything in seawater. And there was the, the guy who gets stabbed in both eyes. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, and that was cool as shit. When he comes back in the room. Awesome. Love it. There was the guy <laughs> who kind of looked like Steve Gutenberg on the boat. The third guy that got killed. Yeah. <laughs> the little Jerry like, Curl weird like, is that the, 80s Is that throw? the goot? No. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the goot. Dude, one of the lines I really liked was, I don't know, I can't remember if it was George Buckflower who said it, but like when Adrian Barbeau's like talking to him, like, hey, watch out for the fog bank, you know, it's rolling in, just, you know, be careful out there. And and they're all drinking Budweiser and shit, and he's all, there ain't no fog bank out there. Like, what the hell is this broad talking about? There ain't no fog bank. And then he sees it roll up, and he's like, hey, there's a fog bank out there, and he gets (laughs) jacked immediately. (laughs) I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) Uh uh where are we going with this it is funny how like they just get together and it always strikes me how quickly it's like one or two scenes later they're just shirtless in bed she's like reading a book you know cue him like lighting a cigarette and they're just like planning their next move i was like dude i had to stick that in somewhere i i before we moved on so i guess from there, I I was also I made a, a point to write down. This also kind of has like a Jaws kind of vibe. Like I could buy, you know, watching this around. Like this would be like a good summertime horror watch because you're you're at the beach. But you know, the priest who we haven't really touched on, who's played by Hal Holbrook. I don't know what the fuck he's famous for, but I know the name. But he's he's our priest who's who kind of like stumbles upon via a, a wall breaking apart and uh, this cryptic ass book from a hundred years ago coming out. And so he, that's our first like point of exposition and talking about like what, what the fuck is going on with the fog and like this curse that that's on this little coastal town. So he's father, what is his name? Father Patrick Malone. And he comes across, you know, uh, like it's like a leper colony. We come to find out that kind of ousted and then set up to be uh, with, with the, the fake light, the fake fire campfire on shore to, they were going to abscond their gold and then, you know, set them up to be 
you know, shipwrecked or, or waylaid somehow just to get them out of their hair because they didn't want them in their little community. And that's where the supernatural element gets tied in with like the fog somehow. And it's like, okay, now there's a curse and it has been written, you know, like the six uh, co-conspirators shall be punished a hundred years from now or something like that. So to the jaws point, it's like he, he understands all this. And then he tells Janet Lee, he's like, Hey, there's a, there's a, this town's fucked, you know, like it's cursed. So, like there's some, he doesn't say, you know, we need to evacuate or we need to do this or that. And she's just kind of like, yeah, you've been sucking back on the fucking communion wine a little bit too much. Like, yeah, whatever. And then, you know, later on it comes to, the four and it, it reminded me like you know when they have they're celebrating their hundredth year as a town and then the fog comes in it, it it reminded me of Jaws in that way a little bit. In the journal that Father Malone finds hidden in the wall, there's a certain scene in the movie early on where he opens it up and he's kind of flipping through the pages and reading it and there's like a screen cap like if you pause it in the right moment you can like read the page and see what it says but of course the internet being what it is like there's a screen cap that you can very easily go pull up and read and it's in uh written in cursive but if if you do read it clearly there was a very salty fucking intern (laughs) that was made to just like write bullshit in this journal and fill up the pages because when they freeze like if you freeze frame it at the right time you can see it says like something along along the lines of like my college education is being put to work to write dumb bullshit in this fucking movie's prop. It's time to bring in the, the fucking special words of the big tits and the tattoos and the shaved beavers. And like, it's, it's just like fucking nasty, salty bullshit. That is really funny. That's awesome. That's awesome. I totally miss that. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to pause it. Like, it, it happens so quickly, and it's so, like, difficult to read. You'd have to pause it to, to make any of it out. Damn, that's crazy. I've already, because w- I've always heard, I wonder if he had a problem with, with John Carpenter in particular, or that production, or he was just pissed about, like, his station in life at that, yeah. at that point. Because all, by all accounts, I mean, even by, you know, the fact that he's worked with the same people so many times, he seems like he'd be a good hang and like a cool dude to, to make a movie with. So you'd think so. Yeah. And there's a Carpenter cameo at the very beginning too. He plays uh Bennett, I think. Yeah. The, the but, long hair at the beginning, Steve. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, can I get paid? Yeah. I thought yeah. that guy was for sure going to come back later on at some point. Yeah. If you didn't know that that was John Carpenter, I would have thought the same thing too, but yeah. Because he looked young. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how old he was, but yeah, he was 30, maybe 30. But I would still say he looks pretty old for 30. I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm 37, and I feel like yeah. I look a little bit better than where You don't look at. a day over 16, brother. God damn. <laughs> the, uh, the character that John Carpenter is playing is Bennett, but I, I, I found this online. I didn't know this until just doing research. His his full name is Bennett Tramer or Ben Tramer, who apparently oh shit, who apparently uh, Bennett <laughs> Tramer is a real person who was Carpenter's uh, uh, schoolmate at USC. So, huh? There you go. Some more Halloween wraparound bullshit there. Nice. So I just started blasting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they wanted money or something more sexual. <laughs> uh, Michael Myers always wants something a little more sexual. 
I guess the namesake of this film, I, I wrote down uh, a note. What we what we think of the the fog effects, like for the fog, quote unquote, when it would roll in and largely CGI, all of it, computer generated. Fog. No, I I thought it was pretty good. I was like, how the fuck do they do that? Like, so my opinion, my layman opinion is, and I I try to put it into context, like we've talked about before, because yeah, it it looks kind of corny, but if you think about that movie was made 42 years ago, 42 years before that was 1938. So if you were to ask somebody in 1938, like, what is, how, how cool does this look? They'd be like, that's fucking unreal. That's awesome. So my I, brain's going to explode now. I try not to judge things too harshly looking back just to put it in that type of context. Like how far, how long ago was it? And then how long before that, you know, they're, what is that? Like wizard of Oz shit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I didn't knock it too much for that. Right on. I thought it was yeah. funny when she was looking at the fog and calling out like the streets, like, all right. And that's a little, <laughs> yeah, I, my, I think one of the few bones I have to pick about this is how quickly it seems like she understands that there's like something malevolent of involved with the fog. Like when she's talking with the weatherman, it's almost like it feels like she's seen along with you what's happening to the weatherman and it's like oh fuck this fog is nefarious and can kill you or maybe she just takes that by like cause and effect like the fog swept up the seagrass they're all dead so maybe she thinks it's just a force you know the, of that'll like a chemical or something for all she knows but that's one thing i'm always like why did how does she know that the like the fog being there is going to fuck you up instantaneously well maybe um, she had kind of heard the legends as well because when she got that piece of driftwood or mm-hmm. from the boat that was like bleeding water and fucking up her whole shit i don't know mm-hmm. yeah she's immediately on board yeah it's a it's a little loose but you know it's it's an interesting idea for a character to just like hole up in a lighthouse who has like i guess she's yes. got a bird's eye view but it also feels like she has to walk down 40 flights of stairs and <laughs> yeah. like i don't know how she can see anything from yeah. where she's at exactly but it's yeah. a great idea though for a movie i think it's super cool and like who doesn't want to be a dj in a lighthouse how fucking cool is that dude even though she seems I'm, so pissed every time she, she signs yeah. off like Ugh. fuck this yeah. job <laughs> But yeah, like they make it seem like it was her dream. Like she went in and bought out this lighthouse and the radio station. So she, and she's like thrust, she, she complains about it, but it seems like she's just like, she's not really complaining about it because mm-hmm. she bought it and she's in charge of it. So she has to run every shift, you know, she hasn't been able to find anybody yet, but yeah, it totally seems like a fucking, a badass like setup to like, that's your like day to day. I know we've talked about it pretty recently, but it's one of my, one of two of my like main, like movie, like idiosyncratic movie things that I like one of the other one being like people investigating shit and like going through files, like Mark C Mark Ruffalo in spotlight. Um, but like uh, people in a DJ booth. So like Pontypool, I love Pontypool. Oh yeah. There's a fucking, just like that setting for some reason just does it. What? Texas Chainsaw 2. Airheads. Airheads. Thank you. I, I, man, I hate Texas Chainsaw (laughs) 2. I fucking can't stand it. Anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on that, but uh, it's a weird movie. Yeah, I just, I don't fucking like it. I don't like, what's his name? Chop Top. It's just so over Mm -hmm. the top. It's just, yeah, it's like mayonnaise. Fuck that. It was funny, dude, Naderade. He was talking about, like, people were talking about on our Slack channel, 
talking about mayo. I was like, ah, fuck, I hate mayo. And Naderade was from Ghoulish Uni. He's like, hey, just put it on a fucking flour tortilla and you'll be all right. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is a mayo burrito. A mayorito. It's your he, next invention. Fucking asshole. Does he heat uh, it up or is it just mayo? <laughs> I think he was commenting on the fact that I'm on a streak re- recently of putting just oh, juxtaposing a all the culinary stupid. bullshit yeah. onto a tortilla. He's like, "Yeah, just do that, and you'll like it." You fucking hot weirdo. mayo sounds sounds even worse though. <laughs> to, yeah. to be honest, yeah, put um, it on a tortilla, you pig. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly what he's going for. I'm sure of it. That's awesome. Yeah. The uh, the fog. Yo, Billy. What? Yeah. White trash. We used to put margarine on a tortilla and microwave it and then just roll that shit up and don't look at me like that. Jesus Christ. Don't look at me like that. Mr. I drink coffee creamer straight from the bottle. Hey man, that was twice. And then was out of line. No, dude, I, I used to take, I used to love Triscuits and just a field of a brand new like country crock margarine and just, just ski on the slopes of, yeah. I'm I'm no stranger to margarine. That's intense. I love Triscuits though. I'm a Triscuit slut for sure. Dude. You go a ridge or what what are your your flavors? What are your thoughts on rye Triscuits? I don't like them. They like get stuck Ugh. in my teeth. I don't. I don't. Maybe it's just my fucked up teeth or whatever. They just like get fucking rammed in there. I can't get them out. It's weird. Well, lucky for you, they discontinued them. But I'm not. Hallelujah. About it. There's despite, like a despite my avocado? several emails to the company, they don't. <laughs> there's there's like an avocado flavor I think that I dig, and like a sun dried tomato. I think that's pretty yeah, good. I, I fuck with the sun dried tomato. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Salt salt and pepper. You can't ever go wrong. It, it's all good. Put some cheese on it. What a, you know. Some mayo, I guess, if you're into that. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. dip it into the dukes and go to, go to, go to town. And then Fuck just put that. all that inside a tortilla and you're good to go. <laughs> Whenever he's talking, when, when uh, what's his face in uh, Pulp Fiction is talking about when he went to Amsterdam and McDonald's and mm-hmm. you can get a, a beer and a glass. And he's like, you know what they use instead of ketchup? Mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. They're French fries. They drown them in that shit. I'm like, ugh, Fuck. Every time, I'm like, yeah. how could you do that? It's gross. Um, it's not anyway, uh, back to the DJ booth shit that really fucking tickles my fancy is there's another fl- uh, After Midnight, so not the movie you're thinking of by Jeremy. Fuck, I can't remember his name. Uh, there's there's an anthology from like 1987, somewhere between 1987 and 1992, there's an, a horror anthology called After Midnight, and one of the vignettes it takes place in like a, a DJ booth in like downtown New York, uh, played by Marge Helgenberger. And there's like a stalker serial killer dude. That one, I fucking love that one. There's a Tales from the Crypt with Miguel Ferrer that takes place in a DJ booth. So I was sold immediately. And I, I thought, I, I thought the same thing. Like, I, I, for some reason, I thought she was like high up in the town. And she was like in a panopticon situation. And every time I watch it, it's like, oh yeah, she's in the lighthouse. And if you didn't know kind of the region, or if you just kind of like glossed over the, that scene where she's aiming down, it looks like it's like two miles down. 
it's like, yeah, how the fuck is she like calling out the streets and like being able to, because I feel like where that's situated, like the city streets must be, you know, like thousands of feet above where that is. Cause she's like right on yeah. the coast, you know, like right yeah, on seems the rocks. That way. But <laughs> I uh, can see past that. Jeremy Gardner is the director of After Midnight that I was blanking on too, man. I had to look it up. Yeah. Um, something that like kind of cracked me up about watching the fog this time around was like when it rolls into town, like the, some of the first things that it does is like, it knocks out all the phone lines and then it rolls over to the power plant and like takes out the generator. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a very sophisticated fog. Like yeah. taking, taking out all this electrical shit. I, I, I don't know. It was interesting. Well, yeah. red fog. Yeah. That's where it made me. That's why I put the note. I was like, kind of got a vi- final destination thing. Like it's got like a, yeah. some kind of like a consciousness evolved and it's, it's hitting like major points of infrastructure, like, or like a serial killer who's planning to kill someone and cuts the phone line and like, you know, is preparing, but maybe that's, that's part of, you know, uh, the, the supernatural thing that it's got going for it is it yeah. can, it's trying to set its trap perfectly, you know, to, to get its, uh, retribution. Yeah. I did like that when she's like going to make the call and the cops like on the phone and the way they pace it up and he's just like, hello. And it's just like, chunk, 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 like the fucking phone or the electrical lines just go out instantly. Yeah. The only, I wouldn't even call it a criticism, but the only thing that I was kind of thinking that would make it cooler was if the fog came back, and specifically targeted descendants of the people who killed them, you know, because mm-hmm. when, when they, when they took out the first people on the boat, it's like, okay, well it's kind of killing indiscriminately. But then when it went after the father, I was like, Oh, okay. So yeah, they, they do have like a targeting ability. It would have been cool to find out like, Oh no, the three guys on the boat, they were actually the grandchildren of three of the, the people who, so-and-so, you know, whatever. That was that was the only thing that I thought could have been a cool thing to add, but I wouldn't even call it a complaint. Just that makes sense, and and we really don't know anything about any anybody that dies other than the father, like the weatherman. Like we don't we don't really know anything about him or the babysitter or the dudes <laughs> on the on the boat. It's, or yeah, fuck the know. poor granny who's taking care of fucking uh, Andy or whatever the fuck yeah. his name is. Yeah. Dude, I I thought that was brutal. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then the fog. It's yeah, Andrew. Andy, because she's like, Andy, you should go to your room and opens yeah. the door and it's like, <laughs> like four fucking uh, zombie fucks just take her out. And it's like, God damn. Well, and if it's killing they indiscriminately, time. it went all the way through town without killing anybody. So there is yeah. a, there is a selective ability. So, well, I think the selective part goes back to like the strict numbering of the curse because six people were on the ship. The no, I get thing. that. But at this point, there was five dead, and the fog is going all the way through town up to the church. Maybe it was like, okay, for sure, we got to kill Father Malone. Can <laughs> okay. we agree on this? So he's everyone so else he's is number fair one. Let's just on get the... to let's just get to five, and then <laughs> keep fogging until we fucking find Father Malone. Okay, he's on the people to kill list at the top, and whatever it takes yeah. to get there. The Steve Buscemi. Glad <laughs> I called the... that. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that ELO song is such a fucking banger. <laughs> it God is. Damn. Yeah. Dude, I remember, I, I had never heard of them before. I remember you brought them into work one time. And, dude, that from then on, that was a heavy rotation. Dude, they are such an underrated fucking band. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's why I always forget about them. And then you flash back and it's like, God damn, I've been listening to ELO for three days. Um, <laughs> so many good tunes. <laughs> ELO blackout. <laughs> Where am I? Um, oh, yeah. Well, I wrote this. Haha, <laughs> old Dan thinks Stevie's on drugs because she said the fog's glowing. That's the uh, the weatherman. Like he's just like totally not buying in, and she's like full go. She's like, no, there's something fucking weird with this fog. It was glowing. And he's like, oh yeah, okay, puff puff pass. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I liked how incredulous he was all the way to the bitter end. He's like, ah, who's fucking around in here? And all this like weird fogs like enveloping him, and like it's like, wouldn't you have a little bit of a different attitude? Like, hey, what the fuck's going on here right now? Maybe I should leave. Yeah, Fucking poor- Dan O'Bannon. What a dumb shit. Poor Mrs. Kubritz. They got granny. Yeah. And then Tom Adkins comes in, G'd up from the feet up at the last second, like rips little Andy Milanakis out the window. And then from there, it kind of picks up into like, we're at like the Alamo. Like it, it's understood that we need to get to the church. We need to get to the church. And so I must, go I, to the- I've got to, I've just got to interject a little bit. Yeah, when when he gets into the truck and Jamie Lee Curtis is driving, and holy fuck, she does not know how to drive that truck. <laughs> I would never, ever jump into the passenger seat of my own car, especially if it's a stick. Yeah, and and, ju- and then just continue to scream in her face like, "Go!" That's not helping. Well, no, he wasn't. I feel like he was like motivational. Like he's like, "You'll get it. You, it's gonna go." Like. He was, he wasn't like, get it at the fucking gear. You know, like I would only tell the, yeah, I know you would, but at the end it wasn't until he's like reverse, reverse (laughs) Charlie Brown. (laughs) I would have Spartan kicked her out of the driver's side. (laughs) Crisscross. Everybody clap your hands. You know, the whole thing. Excuse me. Like, thank you for destroying my clutch and transmission um you're dead now (laughs) (laughs) so the other part of this that i thought was kind of funny too that it i maybe it was a function of like the story that we just got to like wrap this up but they get back to the church and then it's like he's like oh yeah i couldn't bear to read past like this point and it's like oh you continue to read and you find out like oh yeah you just need to return the gold and it's housed within the walls or whatever so then you know they proceed to destroy the the innards of this church to you know gather up the gold as like the ghosty the fog the pirates are like manifested at this point i think for most of them and they're at the alamo at this church uh with father malone and then that's where we get that huge ass like fucking what is that like ingot formed into a like a huge ass golden cross. And it seems like it weighs a fucking ton. Like he's really struggling with that thing. That struck me this time too. I was like, Jesus Christ. Why the hell would he make the gold into a, a cross? It just seems <laughs> weird as shit. Like, is he wearing it on a chain? Like what? Go spend it. Why, why did he make it into a cross? I don't understand. Yeah. That didn't make Flavor, sense to me either. Flav. Yeah. Because in the, in his, journal entry it was talking about like we can use this gold to turn our little town into a big whatever and and then later on it's like i'm just gonna go ahead and keep it all like okay well (laughs) how did that translate into turning your town into this big town it is now yeah just to hide it in the walls 
I don't know. It looks cool though. Yeah, it was cool pretty, as shit. It was pretty fucking That cool. effect was pretty rad. I wish though, like it would have like like when Tom Atkins comes up and like pulls him back. I wish it would have like ripped his arm, like burned his arms off or something, or done something crazy. But I do like the fake out at the end where it's like, oh, he's like, I made it. And he's like, but what about me? I was the sixth. Like, why wouldn't you take me or something? Then it's like, I got you, bitch. I'm right here. Dead. Good shit. I thought it ended good I, I i always i always forget about that it's like oh yeah he does die yes cool so yeah i think that's it in a nutshell with the old fog there was is this one you would recommend steve um yeah i guess i would it i, I, I guess it depends on the person i don't know if i'd bring it up in casual conversation like oh hey i just watched this thing you've, you've got to check it out hey have you seen the fucking fog but you mentioned you saw it with the missus what'd she think was it a enjoyable watch? Um, I actually didn't ask because I didn't want to discuss it prior to our pod. Uh, okay. But uh, just going back to where the father says, I didn't read any further. How do you not read the whole fucking thing? <laughs> when this book is full of like the most insane information. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't read any further. Well, you just reread the entire book to the people in front of you. Why wouldn't you read any further? I'm sure there's a lot of good information in there. Yeah. And I mean, from the beginning, he's like, this town's cursed. Maybe he's just like in a fucking K-hole of like guilt. And like, he's just like, we're all fucked. You know, like, it's like, yeah, again, something that should have been a pro to my attention <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Could have saved old poor Mrs. Kubritz and traumatizing Andy Milanakis. It, it, and um, I, w I will say I was a little unclear where it said like, uh, or you could just give the gold back. And then he gave the gold back and he killed him. Like what would, what, what would have happened if early on he just gave the gold back? How would he, how does he set up that meat with the fog? <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, I got it. I want to absolve the sins of the path of the father. And here's let's, where can we do the handoff? Yeah. Sorry. Town square high noon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> yeah. Fog. Be there. Give, give me the ringer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the ringer. <laughs> Fucking amateurs. We? I, the Royal, we, my fucking whites. Um, Okay. I also I made a note here too. I think the the uh, another reason I really like this too is along with like the radio DJ stuff, but it kind of has like an old old radio old timey radio vibe that I picked up from. Like I'm a huge fan of American Graffiti and the Warriors also, and they have this kind of cool like Adrian Barbo. It's not super consistent, but for quite a bit of the film, it's like you know the radio DJ as narrator is kind of going along and she's kind of filling in like little gaps, like, Hey, watch out for that fog bank. And like, and she's talking to the town, us watching the film. Uh, I like those two films have that through line too. Like with American graffiti of Wolfman Jack kind of narrating what's going on with the kids as they're going throughout their night. And then in the warriors too, you have the gal from fucking where in the world's Carmen San Diego. She's like the radio DJ saying, Oh, these warriors are tough. You got to watch out like every battle, every like major point uh, in their journey. She's like narrating along. So that kind of thing. I was like, it all of that wrapped together with the ghosties and 
it being a carpenter flick. The fucking music is awesome in this film. I was going to ask you, what did you think of the, did you like the, uh, the score in this one? And did it remind you of Christine a little bit? Did you pick up on that? feels very Christine-y to me, like the, the, the synth and the, the, the score of this one. Me? Yeah. Steve, you. Yeah. Um, I got more of a Halloween vibe than I got like a Christine yeah. vibe. And yeah, I, I liked it. There was a couple points that reminded me, like maybe it's like the imagery of uh, Father Malone in the church, but like a like a tubular bells from like the Exorcist, like that main theme crossed yeah. up with with more of a Christine. For me, is the way. I, but I can see it totally too with the Halloween. This is very close to Halloween too. I think this is two years after Halloween was released. Uh, John Carpenter did this one. I know you're a sucker for like this kind of synth heavy and you're a Carpenter fan too in general, but I, I, I think the one gripe I have, Bob, let me know is I feel like they could have beefed up the score a little bit. It felt kind of sparse on this watch. I noticed. Yeah. Uh, I, I like it as it is. I think it kicks in when it really needs to. And it, it, it does have that like Halloween vibe, but it's, it's almost got more of a, I don't know, like airy or a, or like more of a, more of an like a an aquatic kind of vibe to it that I think suits the movie pretty well. But it, mm-hmm. it definitely has that like John Carpenter sort of like stamp. You know, you can tell that like he's the guy that that put the music to the movie. Um, I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess they could. They probably could have beefed it up, but I don't feel like when I watch it, I don't find myself thinking like, man, I wish there was some more like synth score happening here. Like it doesn't feel lacking. Yeah, that's fair. And I I don't feel that way either. I just feel like when I was watching it, I was like, I feel like they went a little light and they could have gone heavier. It doesn't change my opinion of the film. Like I think they needed that, but I think that it would have been welcomed if they did add on a little bit more to that. This one too. I I know Steve, you, you probably haven't seen Prince of darkness, but I, I like Prince of Darkness a lot, quite a lot. And I, I think this one is a good, uh, like this one feels more of a straight transition from like versus watching like a Halloween film and going to like some of John Carpenter's later stuff. I feel like the fog and Prince of Darkness have a similar vibe. Uh, although Prince of Darkness is quite a bit longer, but I have thought about like doing the, um, the apocalypse trilogy at some point and hitting, hitting those three all back to back, but Halloween be perfect. Yeah, I would. I got, I'm, I'm excited for uh spooky season to, to kind of pick and choose again. That was yeah. a lot of fun this past, this past year. Yeah. You guys talked about some really good shit for sure. Yeah, we tried. All right. Yeah. I guess is there, you guys have any final thoughts about the fog um, I think, I think I could, I'm, I'm glad that you liked it, Steve, uh, first and foremost. I wasn't sure if you, if you would, cause I could definitely, I could see somebody like watching this with modern eyes and thinking it's a bit like slow and boring. Like I, I could, I could definitely see somebody watching this and be like, that's a fucking boring ass movie. Nothing happens. Even when people die, you don't really see much of anything, you know, what's the big deal. So I'm, I'm glad that Steve liked it. Um, I think it it is a good one to like sort of show a younger audience because it it there is no blood and guts. It really is like a tried and true ghost story. So like if you got kids or whatever, I think this is a pretty palatable movie. Again, they might be bored by it, but it's it's nothing 
Uh, no nudity, not a lot, not a lot of like cuss words or anything like that. So it's it could fly, I think, for some some younger audiences pretty well. Word, Koji. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And I, when you said earlier too about this being right up your alley, uh, by virtue of of seeing so many Scooby Doo episodes, and it definitely rings true for sure. That would be a good kind of like maybe if you wanted to get a younger crowd into it, get them started on mm-hmm. Scooby Doo, and then like maybe escalate to like this because it is you make a good point i mean the kills even for like a younger like i would say even like 9 10 11 around there maybe if you depending on you know your preference you could like kind of shield their eyes from that the first kill sequence of the seagrass is like pretty much the most graphic in my opinion like the uh yeah the ship out on the sea everything else is pretty uh pretty tame uh, and it's it's more of like a thriller kind of at that point, kind of getting away from the fog. But all right, cool. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked. You like this one? I was a little on the fence, but I think at this point I'm I'm kind of instead of low high expectation, I'm just making it no expectation because I've been I've been fooled and and burned uh, a couple times. So, but yeah, this definitely bumps the uh, the average up. Uh, and we're, I think we're back on like a three game winning streak here for flicks, flicks wise. So let's see, we don't have any housekeeping to speak of. Yeah. I think the last one was like, this is pod racing, which Chris seemed to be more in tune with like the memory of that. I don't know what the fuck that means, but I mean, are we going to mention at all Jamie Lee Curtis and how unimportant she was and <laughs> forgettable? Yeah. I mean, I I like to see her in this film. I liked why. I don't know, just like her her presence and her her palling around with Tom Atkins was fun. Like they're kind of like the the Scooby Doo crew of of like figuring out what's going on in the town, kind of remotely with Adrian Barbeau holding on the fort at the lighthouse, and them kind of navigating. I mean, you're right; she doesn't really do much it's just kind of like name recognition and but she wasn't a huge star at this point either like she's hot off the heels of halloween in 78 i mean this is 1980 this is only two years later so i think at the time it wasn't like she was just another actress and she got a a gig you know it wasn't like now looking at it it's like she's this big figure and your maybe your expectations are slightly skewed fair not fair what do you think bob yeah, I mean, you could remove her from the movie and, and, and just have Tom Atkins do all the shit alone and it would be the exact same movie. But it is cool to see Jamie Lee Curtis primarily because you're like, oh yeah, it's just, you, it's a familiar face. And you're like, oh, that's nice to see her. And also I think it's cool to see her with her mother in this movie, which is the first movie they ever did together. Um, I think they only ever did this and then H2O. Those are like the only two, huh. I believe, that they did together. So that's kind of cool too. Um, but character-wise, she really... She adds like maybe a dash of charisma, but like nothing plot wise really. Yeah, she's just kind of like a, a scrapper, I think, like like Tom yeah. Atkins. Like they're just like a couple, you know, this pack of strays that are like thrust into like, you know, like these vagabonds that are thrust into this weird situation together. I, I kinda yeah. like seeing that, but yeah. I guess you're not wrong. Um but also, I don't want her to not be in the movie. So, yeah, um, I do. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I do have a colloquial corner. Real, it's a real quick one. So, we'll, we'll... 
the colloquial corner. Did to us the morning, morning zoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's a bump. I was going. It was even longer before that, and I was like, "Fuck, that's way too long." You should that- just. You should like triple the length. Just make it so obnoxiously long. I pretty much did. That like this is like heavily cut down. I was going for uh have you ever seen the fifth element? Oh yeah. yeah I was yeah. going for like a Ruby Rod, like his big yeah. thing. You're live at five gotcha. with Ruby Rod, your main man, gotcha. and like yeah. yeah. I, I went pretty ham on it. And now and I, I remember I played it and we were like sitting here for like 15 seconds. So I was like, this is too long. <laughs> For sure. Make it 30. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, And of course, Steve has never seen the fifth element, so it's completely lost on him anyway. So, um, uh, so yeah, this one actually comes to us by way of uh, Miles, uh, who we had on for uh, Possession Possession. recently. Uh, He's like, he said, hey, I know you and Steve are up on the new slang kids use. Have you guys heard of Riz? I had to Google that one, like the old sack of shit that I am. Uh, before I pull up what I found on the internets, um, have you, are you, do you know what Riz means? New slang, Steve, or have heard it in the wild? I, th- I think Miles is much younger than we are. So I don't think by much, but, maybe he is. I don't know. Uh, is there any context for Riz? No. no? Okay. Zero. Um, no, I have no idea. Have you heard this one yet, Bob? I have no idea what that means. Okay. I pulled it up and there it's two pretty wildly different uh, definitions. One of which is Riz is another word for spitting game, AKA or uh, slash how good you are with pulling and sustaining bitches. Um, <laughs> person one, are you from Tennessee? Cause you're the only 10 I see. Um, Dumb. Yeah. You got Riz. Uh, the other one is with Riz. It says this word defines Riz as another term for gay or homosexual. Also, the phrase is a shortened version of with homosexual intent. So those are the two top um, urban dictionary entry, entries uh, for Riz. So, no, I haven't heard it out in the wild either. And I don't know what it means still. So, yeah, that's our... Uh, colloquial corner for this week (laughs) use at your own risk or use at your own riz i guess do you mind if i jump in with a bit of a colloquialism that i i I have prepared so this i was super late to the game on this you guys might be very aware of what this means i didn't i just found out um by way of my my co-host on straight chilling do you know what mukbang is oh yeah okay so steve you look you like you don't Mukbang, no. <laughs> mukbang, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Do I? It's on YouTube pretty frequently. If you do any amount of YouTube rabbit holing, this was this was. I found out about this maybe a couple months ago, so it's, it was news de- to me too, de- man. Depending on your algorithm, I suppose. I guess, yeah. <laughs> it, it so one of one of my straight chilling co-hosts lives in South Korea, and I from what I understand it, this, uh, this originated in South Korea and it's, it's YouTube personalities or just people on YouTube that eat a copious amount of food on YouTube. And people like to watch that happen. And that is known as mukbang. It's some of it's fucking gnarly, man. Like a chick sitting there with like a big, like a pho bowl. 
but it's like a live octopus. Like some oh of the more God. extreme ones, and they're fucking just inhaling a fucking octopus. Like, ah. like a la like that scene in in the OG, the Korean old boy, where he or I don't know if it's Korean or Japanese, but at the end when he's like when he fucking downs that live octopus, yeah. Or it's just like yeah, copious amounts of like a lot of seafood, like shrimp and like just big like big ass like pho bowl styles of food and just ingesting them so, i haven't watched any it's of gnarly. it gnarly that sounds really unpleasant um, yeah some of it i think ties into like the asmr community like the people that get off on like the the uh tingles and stuff like people like the mouth sounds but some of it i think too is just like the pure spectacle of just watching someone fucking down all that shit or like live yeah. food. I have seen some weird shit though. Like uh, where people are saying like some of the, like a lot of times it's, it's women and girls and like, they're like looking at like the number of eye blinks and like tiny, it's like Morse code and shit like that. They're fuck They could potentially be like doing this against their will. And they're trying to like say fucking help me. And I haven't got too far down that rabbit hole, but that, I know there's like segments of <laughs> yeah, people man. are like, these people are in trouble. Like we need to fucking help them. They don't want to do mukbang. So potentially a slippery slope, but yeah, uh, I I'm familiar with it and it's fucking gnarly. Well, that sounds darker than I even knew. So th- thanks for shedding some light on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that fresh hell. Yeah. There's a, I was, there's, this isn't, there's a phrase that I came upon yesterday watching this absolute dog shit documentary that I don't even want to mention the name of, but I wanted to share it with you, you guys, cause I know Jim, you enjoy a weird turn of phrase or whatever, but I thought you might get a kick out of it. Um, a super country dude. And, and he said, uh, this, that somebody, somebody says something dumb to you and you can reply with, well, that ain't worth a lit fart in a wool mitten. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, nice. I love it. Those are my favorite things in the world. <laughs> one thing I was thinking about too, was like, uh, you're, you're aware of this one, Steve too. Like, I think now, like with our age group and our culture, if like you're, you're broing down and like, you know, you're with the boys and they say something really stupid, you're like, huh, cool story, bro. You know, or like, yeah, cool, man. Make me a sandwich. And it's like, I've picked up on it. This isn't new either, but I picked up on it and I've had it. I've had it confirmed by old dudes as well, but it's like when somebody's telling you like a really fucking annoying story or you're out in public and someone's just small talking to you and you're trying to get away. I was like, what do you say? Like, instead of like, yeah, cool story, bro. Later. And you're at the car dealership or something or getting your oil changed. And it's, I'll be darn. If you pick, you can and listen for it out in the wild. You'll hear, hear old people. It's a nice way of saying, cool man later shut the fuck up like i'm not interested like this is a good way where you can just remove yourself like kind of like an irish goodbye like oh i'll be darned and you're out of there and i remember i was talking with one of our bosses about this and he's like yeah i just give him a and i'll be darn or well there you have it and then just leave and walk away <laughs> there you have it yep there you have later. it I'm a big fan of the Irish goodbye too, so I had to sneak that in there somehow. Steve, what say you? I feel like you're an Irish goodbye guy. Do you know oh, what that yeah. is? Oh yeah. yeah. Saying goodbye without or leaving yeah. without saying goodbye. You leave through the bathroom window at a party. 
Oh yeah. Saying it's saying goodbye without leaving. <laughs> <laughs> you just never leave. <laughs> Linger. See y'all later. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to do. Um Okay, cool. Uh, well, I think that's going to put a pin in it for uh, The Fog. Let us know what you thought of it or anything in general. You can reach out to us at waxing the por- or wax at waxingtheporpoise.com if you want to send us an email. Uh, we're also on uh, Instagram as waxingtheporpoise and Twitter is at waxingtheporp. Also, I don't think you know this, Steve, but Straight Chillin' just got done releasing their 400th episode in like, what is it, six years or eight years? It was, so it's it's basically like a show a week for that yeah, many eight, years. Yeah, eight years, yeah. Damn. So, like, you know, 52 weeks in a year. Like, it's pr- pretty insane milestone. So uh, I just wanted to say huge congrats nice. on that again, yeah. too. And uh, yeah, they're just coming off of that. And where, where can they uh, uh, find you guys? Yeah, you can search Straight Chilling Podcast anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. Uh, also on social media, we, we're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And if you just search Straight Chilling with, with a G at the end there, podcast, you'll be sure to find us. We review a horror movie every week. Um, and like Jim said, we, we just hit 400. So we cover old stuff, new stuff, good stuff, bad stuff. No matter what you're into, I'm sure there's a movie that, that we've talked about that you would might have an interest in. So um, you can also find us at straightchillingpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty easy to find. So if you're into horror at all, please do check us out. Yeah. Thanks guys for having me also. Um, yeah. Really, yeah. really was awesome. Yeah, totally. Thank you very much for coming on and yeah, definitely check out straight chilling. They're fucking awesome. I've been listening to them for since like 2017 ish, I think <laughs> around there. Yes. Purveyors of Malort. Check out Malort wherever you're able. Sure. Don't. Um, <laughs> do not. Do yourself a favor. Skip it. Skip <laughs> I want to wax y'all's car for a second too, real quick though, before we sign off. If that's cool. Yep. Yeah, I I listened to most of most of your episodes. I believe not all of them, but most of them. And I I know you guys are like right out the gate had like a really solid chemistry going. I mean, you're old friends for for sure, and that comes through. Um, but I also <laughs> dig the format of the show where it, it you kind of switch the topics up and. Um, specifically where, uh, the, the episodes where Jim, you were sort of, sort of interviewing Steve about his life as an, an, an advantage player, as I've come to find out, that's like the preferred term and not card counter. It's that shit was like, it sounds like the wild west out there, man. Like <laughs> it, it was blowing my mind. So be careful. And, um, you know, the, the, I guess, um, unexplained disappearances that you guys talk about stuff I never knew of. And, uh, um, more recently the episodes with your friend, Dick dog, it's all like really interesting, very moving stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I dig the sort of variety show that you have going on and your back and forth banter is, is enjoyable. So uh, <laughs> congratulations to y'all for, for, for doing what you do. And I hope you keep doing it. It's good shit. So awesome. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, man. Thank you. That serious on a serious note, yeah, that means a lot coming from, you know, I don't want to call you a throw you around professional lightly, but I mean, you guys do have a well-oiled machine, and by evidence by you know keeping up with a show every week for eight years is fucking insane. 
and the quality level of your guys' show and how you've just gotten better year over year. It, your show is one of the, it's, it's one of the automatics for me. It's like when I refresh my feed or it's like, or I, I know what day the new straight chilling is coming out. It's my number one. I don't miss it any week, no matter what's going on where, you know, like you have your other, your stable stuff you listen to, you can catch up later, that kind of thing. So, uh, that means a ton coming from you guys. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for the praise. And uh, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun doing this with Steve. And I, I thought he and I would be a good combo just to like bullshit if all else. But it's it's been fun too to see his reaction to films and <laughs> and like be uh, like the selfish side of me be redeemed after all these years. Like, fuck, you've never seen this. And like, I'm finally getting to like fulfill that that dream uh yeah. in like a forced conversation thing but yeah it's been it's been a ton of fun yeah yeah keep it up dudes i, I really have been enjoying it so so i appreciate it yeah i appreciate you you uh joining us on the show and uh adding your insight to the fog yeah totally tons of fun and uh, uh we'll we'll see if we can do it again in the future that'll be that'll be awesome so yeah thanks again for coming on bob check out straight chilling mother truckers Steve, you got any closing final thoughts before we cut this bitch off? Nope. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> You're very Ro- welcome, Steven. Robert. All righty. Well, uh, <laughs> next week we will be joined uh, once again by Chris from Channel 83, uh, where we'll be discussing the 2001 documentary Murder on a Sunday Morning. Uh, about the criminal trial against Brenton Butler uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, this documentary actually won in 2002 the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature, um, but it's still like I don't know a lot of people that have seen it whenever I bring it up, but it's fucking awesome. Uh, check it out uh, in advance and we'll talk about it. Right now it's uh, streaming with ads on Tubi. Um, uh, Fandor, uh, and then Canopy. If anybody knows what Canopy is, if you have a public library card, you can go online and log in and, and check stuff out for free streaming. Uh, it, it's pretty awesome. Check it out. Uh, same same kind of deal as like Hoopla is super cool too. All you need is a, a library card. So yeah, that's what we'll be checking out next week and wrapping about. So meet us back here and we'll see you when we see you and we'll see you later. Thanks for joining us.